Well, good morning, church. Just a quick reminder. I had to write this on the palm of my hand. People in the front can sort of see it. But I drew a little clock on there because next week we spring forward. We lose that hour. And I'm telling you all now, okay, this is your warning. I mean, this is your encouragement. Okay, because you're like, oh, I forgot. 90% of us have smartphones, okay? We have things at home. Our clocks now do it for us. We don't have to change them. A few of you have the battery operated on the wall a couple places, but you got something, a watch, a phone. That's gonna, it's going to spring forward for you, all right? Because you're going to use that excuse, oh, I forgot. I was late for work. I forgot to go pick that up, church, whatever, you know, you know whatever. Uh, we have no excuses. So I'm just encouraging you, reminding you. Get ready to get that extra, um, lose that extra hour of sleep, whatever that is. Anyway, hey, we're preparing for Easter. It is a season of uh, a lot that goes on. One, you know, we look at the Lenten season. It's a season where we're confessing. We are coming before a holy God saying, God, search our hearts. We are digging into his word, wanting to learn more, wanting to grow deeper in him and, and understand what he did for us at the cross. And as we, we search into his word and we dive further, we want to meditate on his word. We, we even are maybe praying more. Maybe we're even fasting. We're giving up something that meant so much to us. Like, I got to give that up. And that's a part of the Lenten season. And we are doing this so that we can fully experience the hope of the resurrection. When we gather on Easter Sunday, what a joyful time that will be. Um, so as we begin... To, and actually, we're in the middle of this now. Uh, we began with talking about confession. And, and what is that all about? Understanding sin. And sin is missing the mark. But I said, for me, maybe a better picture is understanding that sin is committing a criminal act against a holy God that has now put us behind bars. That's what sin does. And so we can't fully, again, appreciate this. We can't fully appreciate being rescued. We can't fully appreciate how awesome God is until we understand how deep and how dark our sins are and how it separates us from this holy God. As we understand that, then we have this new understanding of the amazing rescue story that we find in the Word. So we acknowledge sin. Right? We admit, okay, there's sin out there. I've committed sins. You've committed sins. Right? But here's the thing. We have a choice after we acknowledge that we sin, whether or not we want to admit it to God or whether we want to try to cover it up. That's sort of the choice now. See, we can confess to God our sins or we can try to cover it up, and, and which is sort of weird why we would even try that because the astonishing thing is that God already knows. He already knows. There's no cover-up. Grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. You find Psalms in the middle of the Old Testament, the book right after this, Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 5, I want to take you to a scripture that may seem a little odd, but boy, this really nails it. Proverbs chapter 5, starting in verse 21, says this, For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive, there's that, there's that picture, that prison bar, held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch him and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Now you go back and look at that first part of the scripture. For the Lord sees clearly. God 
He sees it all. He sees all that we do. He just doesn't see what we do. He examines our paths. That word examine means to weigh out, to, to look at it closely, to examine, to see if it's making sure it's correct. He knows when we're going the right way and he knows when we're going the wrong way. There's no cover-up. He sees it all. And here's the thing. We don't always know which way to go. Let's, let's be honest, okay? Let me give you an example, okay? Um, this past week, we had a game in Spencerville. I, I've been all over Ohio. I mean, literally all over Ohio, traveling often. I had no idea where Spencerville was. I was like, Spencerville? I feel like I should know that, but I'm looking at the, Now I look on my, you know, everybody's got maps, Google Maps, Siri, and all, GPS system. Plugged in, there's like three or four different routes to Spencerville. There's no like direct, you got to go all over the place. And sometimes way out of the way, which is the fastest route. Well, we chose a route, and here's the thing. No matter what system you use, it's still not 100% correct, right? Because I don't care if you got Google Maps or Siri, whatever. They didn't know about construction. They didn't know about maybe some kind of road closure. They didn't know about maybe an accident that took place. Or maybe they didn't realize that that was a dirt road, and I don't want to go down a dirt road, right? Or, boy, this had a lot of stop signs. I was hoping for a straight shot. So no matter what system you use, it's still faulty, right? And then when you get there, for us, is once we got there, we're like talking to different people. It's like, what route did you take? Well, I don't know. I just hope I can get home. Okay, because there's a lot of despair there. It's like so many different routes to take, and, and there is sort of some confusion. And it's like, yeah, you know what? I admitted, I admit, you know, I, I could use some help. I'm sort of wondering, right, what is the right route to take? But we do that in our Christian journey as well, don't we? It's like we sort of feel like which way we should go with our life. But then we struggle. We come to something that's taken place in our life. It could be something critical. It could be a crisis. It could be just a normal day situation. And we go to our Christian friends or other people we know, and we're like, hey, what would you do? Divorce, injury, a defiant child, a crumbling relationship, an abusive situation. You've gone through it. How would you handle it? And we, we ask people because we're not sure which path to take, which route to take, how to make the right choice. And we ask for their help. And, and here's the thing. Even they don't know the full and correct way, but they're given advice on what they've experienced. And so it's like, well, I can make the choice or maybe my friends can help me make the choice. But listen very carefully. But in the end, it is God who sees it all. He knows which path to take. He knows which choice we should be making in these situations. And when we stand before God, there's no explaining it. It's like, why did you make that choice? Well, I thought, like, remember, he already examined every path we've taken. He knows. He sees clearly. And for us to try to explain to him why we chose, probably not going to work. Or we try to throw somebody else under the bus. Well, look at them. Look how they did their, you know, decision-making process. Look what choice this person made. And we like make, like we can manipulate God into thinking that we are so much better than them, so He will just overlook what we just did. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't just see what we do. Look very carefully. He says He examines every every path we take. Let that sink in. Right? I mean, when I think about that, we think that we know what's best for our life. I know what's best for me. You, you know, do you know who knows what's best for you? God, right? 
We think we know what we should do in most situations, but God knows every path, every choice that we will face. He's examined it. He's weighed it out. He knows. He not only knows the choices, but he also knows the consequences. When you think about this, who's more qualified to make the decisions in your life? You or God? I think we could all fully agree in here, none of us are fully qualified to make all the choices in our life as much as we think when there is a God who knows every choice, every path, has examined it. So the question is, how come we don't go to him more often? The problem is we don't. We choose our own path. We choose our own way. So we make a mistake that's called sin, right? Going the opposite direction of God, choosing to not do what he's asked us to do. We've committed a holy crime against the, or a crime against the holy God. We try, right? And sometimes we fail. Our choice, our decision is not just wrong. It was that, again, crime against the holy God. He saw it. We're guilty. So there we are again in that prison cell of sin, surrounded by other people who have sinned. I mean, that's, church, I want you to think about this. That's who we are. We've all messed up. We've all sinned in one way or another, okay? And I know sometimes we like to compare, well, my sin's not as bad as that person. But think about this. You're in the same cell. I'm in the same cell with you, same prison cell. And we're all in here for different reasons, right? Now, I'm going to go off of not experience, but maybe what I've seen on TV I heard from other people, okay? So if I'm in that prison cell, okay, I'm looking around like, hey, what are you in for? Really? And then the guy's like, what are you in here for? And I tell him what I'm in here for. Well, I've been lying a lot. Really? Yeah. I'm really proud. Oh, I've, I've made some really bad choices. You know, whatever it is, we're, we're, we're sharing our sins, our crime against God. So we're all guilty, right? We've all done different things. But we all have the same sentencing. How long are you in for? Eternal separation from God. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, it stinks. See, our, our crimes against God basically separates us from a holy God. We're all guilty. We all have the same consequence that's coming our way. So what do we do about it? Well, again, not speaking by experience, but what I've seen on TV, okay? I get a phone call, right? Isn't that the way it works next? You want to make your phone call? Yeah. Who am I going to call? Who should I call to get me out of this, right? Who's going to bail me out? A friend? Maybe one of my accomplices. Because if I go to a friend, they're probably going to judge me for what I've done. I'm going to feel even more guilty. I don't want to go to somebody like that. Matter of fact, here's the thing. I'm, I'm not the most perceptive person, okay? I, I don't always pick up on a lot of things. But there are some things I do pick up on. I, I, I can sometimes tell when people are struggling spiritually in their life. And, and how do I tell? There, sometimes there's for sure signs like, one, they stop coming to church. They stop going to youth group. They don't want to talk to me anymore. It's like, here's, here's why. When you know you're, you're messing up, you're making a lot of mistakes, you don't want to be around other people who's going to remind you of that, Right? It's like, I don't want to go to church because I know what I've been doing. I'm living a lifestyle that's not holy. And so why would I go to church, right? So, I don't know. Here's the thing, though. They know the path they're taking is leading them away from God. And so denying that I need help, and I, I could, maybe I just blame others in this situation. You know, it's my spouse. It's my kids. It's the people at work. It's this culture it's the people in charge at the top. That's why I've got sin in my life. Well, here's the thing. We've got to understand this. Yes, there is sin in our culture and there's problems around us. But you know what? Here's the problem. It's called sin. 
And it's in all of us. We've all been affected by it. So, who am I going to call? As I'm in this prison cell, as you are in this prison cell with me, here's what we do. We call upon the name of the Lord. Who knows all situations, right? Remember, we said we already established that. In the book of Hosea, you can turn there if you want. It's one of those small little books in the Old Testament, the prophets. Hosea chapter 14. God says this. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Now look, look at this next part. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, Forgive all of our sins and graciously receive us so we may offer up our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Never again will we say to the idols we've made, You are our gods. No, in you alone do the orphans find mercy. See, these people have committed spiritual adultery. They were worshiping idols more than they were worshiping God. They were doing things they knew that, that made God upset. And God says... I see what you're doing. You're desiring these things more than you desire me. You are committing spiritual adultery. You've sinned against me. It's time for you to return. It's like they're calling out. We need help. And God says, I've heard you. Now let me reply to your call for help. You need to confess verbally to me. Sacrifices, great. But I want to hear it from your lips. I want to hear you say, I am sorry Please forgive me. That's what he's saying here. Return. Bring your confessions. Return to me. Say to him. He's, he's putting the words right here. Say it. Go ahead and say it. Forgive our sins. Here's the thing. Sin is it's like quicksand. Again, not speaking from experience. Okay, I've never stepped in quicksand. I've never started sinking. But from what I've seen and from what I've read is when you get into the quicksand, you're going down. And if you try to move around more, you sink quicker, Right? And then all, what can you do to save yourself? Nothing. All you can do is what? Help. Right? All you can do is cry out for help. Somebody help me. It's the same way with sin. All we can verbally do is cry out for God to rescue us. So this is what we do, church. We verbally cry out to God. God, forgive me. I don't need to go to you and ask you to forgive me. I do eventually. First, I go to God. And if I've offended somebody else, then I go to them. But it begins with me first going to God. God, forgive me. We need to help, right? We need to admit it. And when we do, there's an incredible thing. God forgives us. I mean, this criminal act against God is forgiven by God. You're free to walk out of the cell of sin. I've made that call. I've verbally called out. I'm sorry. The cell door is open. I am free to walk out. I've been free. That's what happens when we seek forgiveness from God. We're forgiven and we're free. And I want you to think about this. You didn't do it. It's sort of like that picture. Jesus is the one who did this for you. There's, this is the only way. Turn in your Bibles to the book of John. It's just two simple words, and, and, and you know, I don't even, it's not, we're not even going to get into the story, but it's what is said here in these, these three verses. John chapter 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew. Two words right there. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world, return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. Now he loved them 
to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, and to betray Jesus. Jesus knew, there it is again, that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God and would return to God. Church, listen, Jesus knew his authority. He knew he is God. He's the Son of God in flesh. He knew his position. He knew he belonged in heaven. He knew who he was as the King of Kings. Jesus knew all this, but he also knew what he had to do. He knew the agony of the cross, the torture that he would face, the crucifixion, the beating, the scourging, the name-calling, the pain, the sacrifice. He knew all of this. And yet, we read this in Philippians 2, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, verse 7, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born of a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in the obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Church, listen, Jesus knew our sinfulness. Jesus knew the choices we would make. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our ability to run away from his love. Jesus knows our, our desire within us to deny things and blame other people. Jesus knew, and yet he still went to the cross. There's no other way. There's no other way to free you and me. We are free because of what Jesus did for us, and he knew it. He knew exactly what he's doing. We were once uh, sin and chained But now, thanks to Jesus Christ, church, we are free. So I ask you, will you please stop standing in the cell of your sin? You've been forgiven. Some of us doubt that we've been forgiven. Some of us are like, well, I know God's forgiven me, but I don't know if I can forgive myself. Can Can I pause for a second and say, since when did you become greater than God? If God is Lord over all and he has forgiven you, isn't that good enough? If you think you've got to pass your own forgiveness test, then you're claiming that you are better than God, that you are bigger than him. God forgave you. Who are we to determine what God has already declared? God has declared you forgiven. So you're saying your declaration is bigger than his? Is your proclamation and judgment above God's? Are we greater than God? No, no. But for some reason, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves and God's forgiven us. We stand in that cell. The door's wide open and we've been freed, but some of us linger too long inside the cell. Some of us will step outside of the cell, but we're still standing right next to the prison cell. It's like, well, it's sort of comfortable here. I feel a little bit more safe. Because here, at least I know I'm going to get a warm meal and a bed to sleep in. Out there, I don't know what's ahead of me. This can be scary, right? For some of us, telling the truth, being honest, sharing our faith, being faithful in a relationship is sometimes hard and difficult. But we know it's the right thing to do because we have been forgiven and that's what we've been called to do. Church, it's time for us to step away from what is maybe feeling safe for you. Think about this. Moses didn't play it safe when he returned to Egypt to confront Pharaoh. David didn't play it safe when he chased after Goliath. 
Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they didn't play it safe. When Nebuchadnezzar said, bow to my idol, get tossed in the fire. Oh, they, they went to the fire, right? Daniel didn't play it safe. When he was told, don't you pray, he still prayed. Esther, she didn't play it safe. When she put her life on the line to save her people, Peter didn't play it safe when he walked out on the water. Do we play it safe? By maybe just running or hiding or, or just giving up? I want you to think about this because the disciples did all of those things. They, they did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was about to be arrested, it says they all ran. We know one of them denied Jesus. We know some doubted Jesus. I want you to think about this. They were with the Jesus for three years, three solid years. Can you imagine you are with somebody nonstop for three years straight? Jesus Christ, he's pouring into you. And then you run away from him. It's like, that's so hard to believe. Think about this. Do you know anybody in the church who said, I'm a Christian? They attend church faithfully for three years. And not just they attend church, they serve in the church. Maybe they teach, but then all of a sudden they just stop coming to church. They stop believing. Well, maybe it isn't so hard to believe after all, right? I guess it does happen. But why? Why, why, why do we want to play it safe? In the NFL or football, I should say just in the NFL, in football, there's a situation that it's, the thing is coaches study every single statistic. They look at every single angle, every film, the game, every uh, advantage possible over their opponent. And despite all the research, psychologist Ray Baumeister says coaches will make a simple mistake every single week when they play the game of football. It happens in a situation called fourth and short. It's fourth down. You just got a short distance to go. Could be inches, could be a yard. And here's the thing. You can go for it, get that yard, get that distance, and you got first down and you can keep moving the ball down the field. Or you can like, I don't know if I want to go for it. We're just going to kick and punt, right? Get rid of the ball. Well, here's the thing. Nine out of ten times, the offensive team will go ahead and just kick the ball. They won't go for it. Even though statistics show it's a better thing to go for it on fourth and short. So, author John Tierney and Dr. Baumeister said, why do they do it? It's called the power of bad. The power of bad. Our brains are wired to give more importance to the negative events in our lives and the positive ones. So bad ev events influence our decision-making process over the positive ones. No matter how much we want to succeed, we want just to avoid all the negative stuff in our life. So the coach, this is what happened. The coach is on the sideline. He sees it's fourth and short. Everything starts processing. Let's see, if we go for it and we don't make it, Man, I'm going to hear it from the rest of my staff. And the fans are going to start getting mad at me. The people on TV, um, the, if we lose the game, this is, it's on me. And I could get fired. If I get fired, then what am I going to do? How am I going to feed my family? Do you see how this can roll? All these, all these kind of things take process in the coach's mind, okay? Punt, team, going out. And you just, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail. So we're just going to punt. Because we fear failing, we choose to play it safe. We do it spiritually too. Anybody know these names? I'm going to put them up on the screen. Shamil, Shepath, Egal, Palte, Gadel, Gadi, Amil, Sether, Nabi, and Guel. And I just nailed all 10 of those perfectly. I'm going to tell you. Do not go look up in Hebrew how those are pronounced, okay? Just trust me on this one, okay? Anybody know those 10 names? 
They're the ten spies that went into the promised land and said, we can't do it. Those ten men right there are the reason that the children of Israel wandered another 40 years in the desert. They feared, and they played it safe, and look where it got them. See, we don't know their names, do we? Nobody knows them, but these were the ones. See, we confess our sins, church. We're free from condemnation. We're now free to live for Jesus Christ. Step away from the cell of sin that lures you there close by. Step away from darkness. Step into victory. Choose to do those things that might just scare you for him. It's challenging. I get it. Of course it's challenging. You know why? Because it's spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. It's not easy. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says this. He goes, he goes Ephesians 6, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. The devil has strategies, people. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in a time of evil. Then battle, I'm sorry, then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Verse 17 goes on to say, Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have one offensive weapon. The rest of the armor is defensive weapon. This is our offensive weapon. My question to you is this. How many of you are ready for battle with the devil? How many of you know how to pick up your spiritual sword? How many of you are using it? Or are you just okay with your pastor being the one who knows the word? Or your Bible study leaders knowing the word? Or your GPS, Tupac leaders knowing the word? It's like, well, my Sunday school teacher, my, uh, my Bible study leader, they know the word. Our pastor knows the word. I've told you, if I ever preach on a Sunday and I don't have you open up the word or I don't mention God's word, fire me, Right? I believe as a church, we should always be opening up the word. We, should, this is, we are a biblically-based church. And if somebody ever leaves here to go to another church, or somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm moving, I'm looking for a church, first thing I'll tell them is, find a church that preaches God's word. Because this is our only offensive weapon. And, and I don't know how many of you, if, if you're like, I'm okay with you, Rex, just knowing the word, then let me ask you this. If we were going to go into battle tomorrow, today, and I'm the one up front with a weapon. And you're behind me with no weapon. And we're facing an, an, an enemy that has multiple weapons and wants to destroy you. You're telling me you're okay going into battle without a weapon. I'm going to guess no on that one. I'm going to guess you'd want to have something in your hands to fight with. I'm going to guess that you're going to want something strong with you to carry. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were to stand up in front of you and say, you ready to go? You're like, no. Okay. If this is my sword of the spirit, I want to know how to use it. I don't want to put it just up on display on the wall like, 
check out my sword. Isn't it big? Cool. Okay, that's impressive. But if you know how to wield it, how to use it, how to take it out, your opponent, that's even more incredible, right? How well do you know God's word, the sword of the spirit? Do you carry it with you? Are you able to pull it out in that moment? There's a gentleman by the name of Lonnie Berger. He wrote uh, Every Man a Warrior. And he said this. He goes, do you want your kids to follow Jesus Christ? He goes, are you willing to sacrifice, work hard, do the necessary things to build godly character in your kids? Now, as a parent in here, my answer is yes and yes. Now, you can change this scenario, this situation, and talk about your marriage, right? Do you want your marriage to represent Jesus Christ? Do you want, are you willing to sacrifice, work hard, do necessary things to build godly character into your marriage, into your relationship, into your work ethics? Use whatever scenario you want, okay? Then he asked this third question. Do you know three verses from God's word to help you? See, we all want our children to grow up loving God. We all want to have marriage relationships that represent God. We all want peace in our families or in our work relationships, right? We, we all want this. But are we equipped to make the right choices and say the right things? Because we've been equipped with the sword of the Spirit. Psalm 119, verse 11, one of my favorite verses says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why do I carry the sword? Because I'm tired of sin defeating me. And I want sin to be afraid of me, right? Another scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 says, But you must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true. You know you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. They've given you wisdom to receive salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus. See, it's through God's word we find salvation, right? But we're not done yet. Look at verse 16. It goes on to say, all scripture is inspired. All scripture is God-breathed. It's useful to teach us what is true. Make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Corrects us when we're wrong. Teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God's word breathes life into us. It teaches us. It leads us. It corrects us. It equips us. If you're a carpenter, a construction worker, you work with your hands, you work with tools, let me ask you, what kind of toolbox would you want? An empty toolbox or a toolbox that's full of tools? You know very well what the answer is to that. You want a toolbox that's full so that you can go out and accomplish all the tasks that come before you. In the same way, God's Word. Every time you're learning God's Word, every time you memorize the Scripture, it's one more tool in your toolbox. So when you face things that come your way, you know how to handle it. You are able to work in that situation. Lonnie Berger went on to say this about knowing and memorizing God's Word. Because I think it's important that we, we not just read God's Word or just, I got the Bible sitting on my, my table. Hey, I got a Bible app. Good for you. Are you using it? Are you reading? Are you memorizing? He said this. Some people think memorizing Scripture is hard. But that's just a tactic of the enemy to defeat you before you even start. Let's get some perspective on what hard is. 
The doctors discover you have cancer. That's hard. When you walk with your children to wrong choices they've made in their life, that's hard. When you're unemployed for months with very few prospects and mounting bills, that's hard. When a friend of yours commits suicide, that's hard. Challenges come and they are hard. That's guaranteed, he said. Jesus said something similar, but he kept it really short. And he said this, I've told you all this. So you have peace here on earth. What you will have many trials and sorrows. Take heart because I've overcome the word church. Listen, being a man or woman of God's word prepares you for these hardships. When you memorize God's word, you are equipped to face these hardships. The word of God shows us how to live successfully. Like I said, it's like a toolbox that helps us with tough times. The word of God is truth. And if I don't know truth, I'm going to mess up my life. I'm probably going to hurt somebody around me as well when I don't know the truth. And what I also know is this. If you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free, right? The truth sets us free. We're free from that prison cell of sin that we've been lingering by. You've been forgiven, church. Get out. Be free. Pick up God's word. Start memorizing it. Let it sink in. Think about this. When Jesus fasted for 40 days, he was in the wilderness. The devil came to him and kept tempting him. And what did Jesus do? Jesus pulled out the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, and he took it back at Satan each time. Each time. What's amazing is Adam lived in paradise. Satan came at him one time with a temptation and he failed. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He pulled out God's word and he was successful. This week, equip yourself, church. I want to encourage you, equip yourself. I know there are some people in this church who have anywhere probably from 15 to 30 verses memorized. I know there's children in here in GPS on Wednesday nights. They, re, they are learning scripture and they're memorizing it and they're sharing it with their teachers. And I'm sharing this with you not to say this is something to brag about, what I'm saying is, we need to keep on learning. The enemy never stops. Just because, like, ooh, you learned one verse, good for you, whatever. The enemy will keep coming at you. He will not stop attacking. We should never stop learning. And my, my stronger word of encouragement, I want to go to the teenagers in this room and to the young adults. I remember when I was a teen, I loved listening to music. And I memorized a lot of lyrics. Right? There's a group called Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Don't look them up. Okay? But I got a lyric that just always goes through my mind. I just, I, as soon as I see it, boom, there it goes. Like, I can remember that lyric word for word. And it's fun to hang around with your friends and sing songs because you know the lyrics, right? And it's fun to quote movie lines. I get that. It's fun. I've never seen a football team, basketball team, a sport team, after they win a game, they're all jumping around like, hey, crank it up. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's like... No, nobody's quoting scripture and singing it, right? No, they're, they're singing a song and they're, they're having fun, right? I, I get it. I get it. But here's the thing. The devil ain't impressed with you. He's not. He's like, go ahead. Keep giving, giving me those lyrics, that pop music, because I created that junk. There's some bad stuff out there. Oh, and there's some good songs. I'm not knocking all music, okay? I love music. But there's some stuff out there that we are memorizing, we're listening to. 
You're not impressing Satan. You're not even scaring him. And that's what scares me. Did you ever have one of those burgers with a little sword in it? Keeps the bun and the meat together. You know what I'm talking about? Those little swords? Yeah. It's like, take this, Satan. He's like, what a... <laughs> Compared to... Bring it on, Satan. It's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference when you know how to take God's word and to use it. So, and again, teens, I'm just saying from experience, been there. And I want to encourage you now, while your mind is incredibly sharp, sharper than mine, okay? While your minds are incredibly sharp, now's the time to really memorize scripture, to really dig in and hone in on it. Overall, church, let me wrap this up. We confess our sins to a holy God. We've been forgiven. We're free. Your name's in the book of life. You are a citizen of heaven. Step out of the cell. Start living victoriously. Pick up God's word and I encourage you, start memorizing scripture this week. Worship team, would you come forward, please? While they're coming forward, I want to read this real quick. This is from, her name is Rebecca Moffitt. She wrote this article and it's called God Answers Prayer. She said, God answers prayers. She goes, do you believe that statement? You know, if I were to ask you, do you think God answers prayer? A lot of us are like, oh yeah, God answers prayer, right? She said, I was aware that God answers prayers, but I didn't think it was always true when it came to my struggles and me. I believe it was true for my friends, but in my heart, I somehow thought maybe it wasn't true for me. But I kept praying and seeking and asking, especially over the last year and a half. I was praying for freedom. I knew God wanted me to be free, but I wasn't getting it. I had many strongholds in my life, one in particular, and I've never been entirely free from it. There are some reasons I, I felt free but didn't actively participate in that particular stronghold. But it was just hibernating. I knew it was there, and, I, and it scared me. I would take it out. I'd spend time with it like an old friend and then wrestle with it, go away again, and then come back out. I was in pain and confused. I would think to myself, maybe I'm not really a Christian. Maybe I'm a lost cause or I'm just really weak. Why isn't God answering my prayers? And then a women's ministry, my church got started and they were doing the book of James. I love Bible studies. I was hungry to get in the word, so I signed up. In the first class, our leader said we had to choose on a scale of one to five how involved we would be. Level one, just show up and watch the video. Level two means I would also do daily homework. Level three means I would then also physically write out in the book of James. Level four meant extra reading. Level five included memorizing the whole book of James. I thought about my life, what I would do, and I had to share it the next class. So I showed up, and I'm thinking I'm busy. I've got, I'm a, I've got all this stuff going on as a mom, and I decided level three, that's good enough for me. I shared my decision at the class. I was faithful, did my homework every night, loved it. But I kept feeling that tugging in my heart that I needed to do the memorization, and it just wouldn't let go. Then I thought about all my prayers and asking God for freedom. Perhaps this was God wanting to answer my prayers, and I just needed to listen and obey. So I decided about two weeks into the class to start memorizing the book of James. I memorized one verse a day. And miraculously, after the first month, I had the first chapter memorized. And I kept going. Second chapter, memorized. Kept going. But that's not the real miracle. The miracle is what happened and is still happening right now in my mind. It's like the links of my chains 
began to fall off one at a time. Prison doors free. You hear what I'm saying? Where I used to worry, I have peace. Where I used to be suspicious, I have certainty that all is well. Where I used to dwell in my stronghold, I now forget to think about it. Verses like, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And another verse, humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. I began living and, and those verses began living and working in me. I have an amazing new weapon in this battle. The memorization worked to occupy my mind and it replaced the negative thoughts with my daily scripture. James says, then after desire conceived, it gives birth to sin. Well, desire didn't have a chance to conceive when I had the weapon, the sword of the spirit in hand and was willing to use it. I'm an analyzer, so I don't want to overanalyze how the process began freeing me in a way that I've never been free before. But God's answering my prayer. And he's showing me the power of his perfect word that gives freedom. His perfect word gives freedom. Church, you've confessed your sins to a holy God, right? You're free. Your name's written in the book of life. You're a citizen of heaven. You're free. Step out of the prison. Step out into the light. Start living victoriously for him. Pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Start learning it. Memorize it. I'm going to, I challenge you. I challenge you. Pick one verse this week and just start. I don't care what verse it is. If it's like, well, this is going to be an easy one. Start easy. That's fine. And then increase it every week. I'll join you. For the past three weeks, every week I'm doing something different during this Lenten season. Giving up something, giving up something, giving up something, taking more challenges. It's not been easy. It's not supposed to be easy, right? But I believe it's worth it. It's so worth it. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, your truth, your words. They save. Your word saves us. Thank you, God, for saving us. Thank you for a love that is so amazing that we love to sing about it but it's still indescribable. God, we come to you now and right where we're standing and we do want to confess our sins to you. You, I know you verbally want to hear it from us. So God, help us to verbally come to you and tell you what we are sorry for. What crimes we have committed against you, a holy God. And God, you are faithful to forgive us. God, not only we are forgiven, we are free. We are free now, God, to, to serve you. So God, help us to not play it safe anymore. Help us to bring out your word, the sword of the spirit. Help us to memorize it. Because God, in this world we live in, there's a lot of paths to take. You have fully examined everyone. You know the way. And your word helps us understand the way. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for the freedom you give us. Thank you for going with us to be victorious, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.